When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today we're looking at the gospel in Mark in preparation for this Sunday's sermon, which I'm going to deliver live at Three-Legged Goat, our meeting place for our church in Pflugerville, Texas. You can tune in on YouTube if you go to www.stjones.org. You'll find uh, links to those events. Today there's two readings, a reading from the book of Job and a reading from the Gospel of Mark. And the book of Job has this really fanciful ending. Um, Some scholars have felt like the beginning and ending of Job are so contrived, so cloying, so fake that they can't be real. In other words, the, the part about the council in heaven all the angels parade in front of God, then the part about Job getting back um, all the stuff that God took away from him. Like he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, and then he had seven sons and three daughters. They give us the names of the three daughters at the end of the book. And there were no women as beautiful as Job's daughters. Uh, Job lived to be 140 saw a bunch of grandkids, and died old and full of days. So the reward of Job at the end is often really just like, you know, seen as, you know, is this what God gives people? Like just more beautiful kids? What about the ones that God killed? Like is anyone going to do anything about that? Like God, why would you kill all those kids? And you just can't give me more kids to make up for the kids you killed. That's not how this works. So some have felt that the beginning and end of Job are just ways to make the story make sense when it's not really a story. It's actually just a lot of poems of lament and grief and why do bad things happen in this world and what do I do about them and how do I feel about them and what are the what are the faithful responses to suffering and and so people were trying to make sense of the story and added the stuff in the beginning at the end. Um, I don't think we need to say that or see that, but I think it's important to to note that the beginning and ending of Job are really weird. They're really uh, out of step with the human condition and experience for the most part. And yet, on another level, they are extremely a part of human experience and what we go through. But Job still speaks to us. And the answer to Job is actually a book title by Carl Jung, published after his death, felt to be maybe too blasphemous or too edgy, published during his death. In that book, which I read many years ago in the midst of my suffering, suffering of coming back from Iraq, suffering the pain of a, of a broken marriage, uh, uh, betrayal on that level and then divorce and all the things that came after that. And during those years, I read the answer to Job. And Jung posits and says that Job never gets a good answer from God. The answer to Job in Job 38 
from God is basically shut up. I'm more powerful than you. Shut up. Don't say any more about it, about the injustice in the universe or the injustice of God or how things aren't fair, things aren't good, or maybe God's not good. or um, All these, the answer to Job is basically, I know more stuff than you know, and I'm more powerful than you. And there's this tornado that confronts Job and, you know, speaks to him. And Job says, okay, I'll be quiet. What can I do? I'll put my hand over my face. Um, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And when Job repents, God gives him all this stuff. But you can see how hollow this is. This is Jung's take on this, is that any reader who reads the book of Job can see that this is not fair. This is not right. This is not the way God should interact with God's creatures. And it is the cruelty of Job, the book of Job, the way God acts toward Job. It is the fact that God has used Job as a lab rat in an experiment with the devil, with a bet with the devil, to try to get him to stumble and see if he would. And and, and that is the real overwhelming theme of Job is that God doesn't hear us. God isn't with us. God is is completely out of touch, out of tune with what you and I are actually doing and feeling. Um, and his and furthermore, the appearance and manifestation and incarnation of Jesus Christ is the answer to Job. And it's hinted at in the book of Job. I know that my Redeemer liveth, he says. And I wish I had an advocate, someone to plead my case with God for me. Um, These messages that Christians later picked up and said, oh, Job, we know who he was talking about. He was talking about Jesus. And when we come to Mark's gospel, we have this great counter to the answer to Job. The God who thunders out of the the tornado at a tiny little man who's lost everything, proclaiming that he's more powerful and Job needs to shut up. Um, We come to this very, another man who's not very powerful, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus and then Timaeus, son of Timaeus, it says. So his name is really in in the Bible, Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, which is kind of cool if you Kind of reminds me of the hockey goalie, Pete Peters, uh, for the Philadelphia Flyers when I was but a lad. And, of course, my last name is Peters, so I... But his, his was spelled differently with two E's, I think, Peters. But here's Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, the blind beggar. He's, he's nobody. He is blind. He is begging. This is his life. This is his whole world, this world of sounds and smells uh, and distant voices. And this is the world he lives in. He's shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I don't know if you've ever shouted something like this, a prayer like this. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he shouts this over and over. And everyone's telling him to shut up. And he says it louder, son of David, have mercy on me, louder and louder and louder till that's all anyone can hear. Bartimaeus knows 
the way the world works, that nobody cares unless it's annoying, unless it gets in their face. We look at issues of justice in our world, whether it's police brutality and violence against black people and and people in general, and we say, well, it'll fix itself. It'll take care of itself. They're reforming things. Um, And Bartimaeus cries out, have mercy on me, and we don't hear him, and he gets louder and louder, and then suddenly we notice. The civil rights movement in America is the best example recently of this, where people like me, white moderates, white Episcopalians, uh, felt that things would just improve with time, that you know there were issues with black people and issues of justice, but most of them would sort of work themselves out. Um, This is the exact same attitude that many white Christians had about slavery during that institution's time that for hundreds of years that dominated our nation and our nation supported and protected. But many, many of even our founding fathers disliked slavery and said bad things about it and how terrible it was and how it's only going to be here for a couple more years and it'll be over, it'll phase out, it'll go away on its own, the economic forces... Well, then you have this world cotton market that develops. Three quarters of the world's cotton is grown in the southern United States by enslaved labor, worked by enslaved labor, cultivated, harvested, cared for by enslaved labor. And suddenly the South cannot stop slavery. It's not going to phase out. It's not gradually going away. But it's the same thing, that things will get better gradually with time. And People like Bartimaeus and people like Dr. Martin Luther King and people like John Brown and other abolitionists and Frederick Douglass said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me and kept saying it and kept saying it until we did something about it, until white moderates like me woke up and said, okay, now it's time to do something. Um, And that is to our shame that it took so long. Jesus says, call him here. They call this blind man here. And they say to the blind man, take heart, get up. He's calling you. And you may not be able to hear the voice of Jesus today. You might still be like Job, stuck in that tornado and whirlwind, swirling around in the chaos of suffering, swirling around in the bitter fruit of your own terrible experiences and the things that have happened to you. But you can hear me say to you, take heart, get up. He's calling you. That's my job as a preacher. That's my job as a teacher. That's my job as a pastor and priest is to remind people that Jesus is calling them. Not that I'm calling them. Jesus is calling them. Jesus is calling you. He throws off his cloak. He springs up, comes to Jesus and says, what do you want me to do for you? This is such a strange question because Like, it's obvious. Bartimaeus is blind. What do you want me to do for you? You know, obvious. I want to be able to see again. Shouldn't it be obvious? Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. When God confronts Job in the whirlwind, God doesn't ask Job, hey, what can I do for you? Would Job have said, you know what I want, God? I want to live a really long life. I want a giant herd of cattle, like the one you took away, bigger though, 
And I want three daughters that are way more beautiful than the ones I had before. And a bunch of sons as well thrown in there. Um, That's what I want, God. Well, that is, you know, Job never says that's what he wants. That's what God gives him. We can see that God and Job have a lot to work out in their relationship. God does not quite get it in the way that um, any human being reading the story can feel. And yet here in this moment, God gets it. God understands what it means to be human. God is right here, right here asking Job or asking this blind man, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? This is a whole different program, a whole different way of God relating to God's people. And it it only exists on the foundation of Job, on the foundation of the Old Testament prophets and and, and martyrs and uh, sages and, and people that wrote the historical books of the Bible. It stands on their shoulders. It's not a different religion or anything like that. What it is, in fact, is the final fruit and crop that is grown from that soil, the soil that Job is slow is just scratching the surface of. And so Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man says, let me see again. Wow. He says that and he can see and he goes and follows Jesus. Now, it may seem strange. What do you want me to do for you? And I've prayed with people in hospital rooms like, say, what, what do you want? I've, I've been a hospital chaplain for a, a big chunk of my adult life, um, years and years, uh, military hospitals, civilian hospitals. And, you know, the expectation is when the chaplain comes that they get prayed for, you get prayed for. I don't never forced anybody to do it. But I'd ask him, is there anything you want me to pray about for you? And it was surprising how few people actually asked for prayer for healing whatever they were dealing with, why they were in the hospital. Um, I realized people didn't go to the hospital to see a chaplain. They went to see a doctor, a surgeon, a nurse. Um, they didn't go to see the chaplain. But while I was there, I would say, is there anything I can pray about for you? And rarely would people say, I want to be healed. Um, Maybe it's because they didn't think I could do it, which may be true. Maybe it's because they didn't think God could do it. It may be true as well. Those are all possibilities that people feel. Maybe it was that they didn't feel God cared or I cared. could be a lot of things. But Bartimaeus knows this is what he wants. Knowing what you want in life takes a long time figuring that out. What do you really want in life? And when you know that, and Jesus is here, you ask him. So I hope today you can ask Jesus what you really want in life. What do I want in life? And to know that and tell Jesus that. Because I can assure you, take heart, get up. He's calling you. The collect for today or prayer for today. Almighty and everlasting God, increase in us the gifts of faith, hope, and charity, and that we may obtain what you promise. Make us love what you command through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.